everybody, one and all. Welcome to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan. And not just any fantasy, because today we are breaking new ground here on the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. We are talking about our first graphic novel series ever on the show. Right? We're talking about the wonderful, monstrous comics by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. And I've read through now the first volume, first four volumes, but we'll just be talking about the first volume here. Uh, that's volume one, Awakening. Uh, and Charles, you just read through volume one for the first that's time. Right. Well, so you I'm were excited. You had, it had been recommended to you through our Twitter account. Um, someone had mentioned it to you and Beth oh, Tabler right, shout out. and you had read it and then all of a sudden you're like talking to all these people about it and you're all talking about how great it is I'm like what the heck <laughs> no one's told me about this Dylan's gone off and had his own fun little chat and I'm like sitting here by myself so um, not to be outdone I went out and got book one this lovely um, massive tome this work of art here and um, yeah we decided hey you know we you guys were liking it so much. You were going off having a conversation. Well, and I joined the conversation and let's make an episode. So I did read volume one, those first six issues or chapters, as they're called, uh, in Monstrous. And I'm excited to to talk about them today. Right. And our longtime listeners will know that this is a theme. Every time I pick <laughs> up a new book or I guess in this case, comic that's not being covered on the show, Charles gets jealous promptly and uh then before you know it he's reading it too and we're covering on the show but i'm excited well dylan goes rogue and then you know being in charge of social media he starts the dialogue you know publicly and i'm over here i'm like no one's telling me this is what we're doing (laughs) so i have to catch up but you know what dylan's got his 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 pulse on the on what's hot and uh you know, I'm just thankful that I'm able to at least stay in the loop every once in a while. Right. This bad boy's won a lot of awards, and I think it's very well deserved. I, you know, here at the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast, we enjoy reading comics, but we have just read a lot more novels, you and I, Charles, than we have comics. <laughs> We're pretty much just We've read Saga, which we've talked about a few times on yep. this show, and now we've read at least volume one of Monstrous, but we, yeah, we're just not particularly well-read when it comes to comics, so we're excited to enter that conversation, and Charles, my first thought of what makes sense to talk about here are just reactions to reading a graphic novel or a comic instead of reading uh, a novel well you know it's when we wrote like our show description back in the day for friends talking fantasy we were like 
books, shows, movies, and more. And it's like we've done one TV show with Witcher, and then it's all been books. So I'm happy that we're getting into the and more category. You know, I, I'm a big graphic right. novels fan. I've read a bunch of them over my uh, lifetime, and I love going to my local comic shops and I'm a big volumes guy, so I don't really stick around for the issues. But uh, um, so I'm very excited. And what attracted me to Monstrous right away, beyond like the conversations that were going on 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 Twitter and Instagram, also was like the artwork of this, all the awards, obviously, um, like so much praise, and um, you know, it's a high fantasy series as well and it's like what a great way to kind of get into this so for the show i really like it and it's something manageable that we can do in between our buddy reads as well so we can get lots of content out every week and not feel like we have to just spend all of our off air time reading so i I think it's great and i hope the fans enjoy it as well me too charles so you mentioned a sort of epic fantasy feel. I, I don't know if epic is the word that comes to mind for me. It feels much more grimdark with the setting, and and there's even these steampunk elements to right. Monstrous. Uh, and by the way, we'll be we'll be spoiling up through volume one of Monstrous in here, but we won't go beyond that. So if you haven't yet picked up Monstrous, then Charles and I recommend you do, but yep. we also recommend that you turn this down in your headphones if you don't want to hear any mm-hmm. spoilers for volume one. Yes. So, yeah, Charles, I I too am struck by the artwork. I think it very much matches with this sort of grim, dark, gritty setting, right? Something about how detailed the art is makes it feel grittier, I guess, more realistic than you'd expect from a typical comic and uh, I'd say the world attempts to be more realistic in terms of the consequences and death and all this kind of stuff that maybe we've come to expect from more of the grimdark genre when we've read fantasy novels. Yeah, I would agree. And I would say, you know, I would say maybe it's like a grimdark first, but I considered it high fantasy just because of like how expansive the world is and how many, you know, there's like five different like common races and there's all these different political factions and there's all these different characters and, and there's all kinds of magic stuff and gods and, and, um, and that even gets down to just um, the art style as well and how detailed it is. You know, it mirrors the detail right. of the story in, in a really um, amazing, interesting way. So that's why I was like, okay, maybe it's a combination of grimdark, some, some steampunk elements. And um, like it's got this high fantasy when it comes to its world building, I would say. Very much like a vast, huge, as big as any of the big fantasy series that we've read on the show it's massive that's well said charles and for some reason i thought you said epic not high but oh, maybe. i, I think you did you did say high and i think yeah high fantasy sometimes in my head that brings about this like lord of the rings type stuff but i think you're right in the sense of having so many different 
uh, I guess races. I don't know if that's the word used in uh, different that, peoples. The end of one of the volumes, it's, I think, calls it five like races. I want to say. Fair. All right. Well, if they call it races, you know? I'll. Oh yeah, races of the known world. Yeah, humans, ancients, cats, the old gods, and arcanic half-breeds. They're called races. Right. So, yeah, a bunch of different races. I I believe you, Charles. You don't have to hold it up. Um, There's a bunch (laughs) of different races in here. There's a bunch of different, like, beings that may or may not be gods or monsters so a lot of that going on and there's a lot of world building that happens in just this first volume a lot to sink your teeth into if you're a fan of some of those more uh, expansive uh, series in fantasy right and much like a fantasy series you know i open the cover and there's a detailed map much like any other fantasy book and then you know the issue itself is like a double or triple size compared to most issues that are commonly released for a new series so right away you're definitely getting those uh fantasy vibes from a more traditional book and the experience of reading it was very much like um reading any of our fantasy uh, series as well. I was um, very impressed with the writing style and the way it just f- flowed. And And even though there's a lot of complicated stuff going on, we're able to see it and it's presented in a way that we can keep moving and get all the necessary details without being weighted down by heavy descriptions that you might find in a novel or something. This book just keeps moving at a very dedicated pace. And a lot of that is the art style and the way the panels flow in the comic that makes it really digestible as well. Totally agree, Charles. And there's all sorts of interesting things to this world, almost quirky world building elements. Uh, Like you've got talking cats and it's not something that in the setting people are surprised to see it's just something that they're one of those five races that you mentioned charles uh, is oh yeah there's cats of course and while there's other animals those aren't treated in the same way that cats are those are treated oftentimes in more quintessential like this is an animal i think there's like hyenas relatively early on right and they're just kind of normal hyenas and cats there are some cats that are just kind of normal and say meow and then there's other cats with a lot more going on and (laughs) eye patches and swords and double tails and things like that right anthropomorphic yeah hey nice use of the word dylan (laughs) thank you that's a word that you know, I have a sordid history with, but here we go. I, I think I nailed it that time. Definitely. So, yeah, and other things like unicorns in there, but they're just kind of treated like normal horses. Yeah. And uh, there's an amazing moment that sticks out to me. I know which one you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. She freaking rips off a unicorn's horn and spears someone with but it. But it's which told is, where it's like the guards like, are watching this unicorn run by. It's like, oh man, the horn's missing. Yeah. And then the next panel, all of a sudden they get pierced by it. Like it gets thrown through their body. You know, it was a funny way of being like, where's that unicorn's horn? And then they're killed with it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that moment kind of encompasses part of what makes Monstrous so great 
is the meeting of those more high fantasy elements like you were talking about, Charles, mm-hmm. with a grim dark setting where it's like typically if you're seeing unicorns or things like that, then it's a little more likely to be this old fashioned high fantasy feel where like no one would ever think in Lord of the Rings to snap off a unicorn's <laughs> horn and then try to spear someone with it because that's such a horrible gritty dark fantasy type thing to happen meanwhile uh, monstrous has those uh, like elements in it with things like unicorns but the setting is so dark and the characters are so morally gray and all that including our main character micah where look this thing has a horn why wouldn't i try to use that to spear someone and kill soldiers with and i think that's just so much of the charm of this comic right i think what you're you're the conversation we're kind of getting into where it's like how successfully are we blending grim dark and high fantasy is an interesting one because i think that's what makes monstrous is positioning in the world of fantasy so interesting it's yeah. like yeah because we like grimdark but grimdark's usually like subverting high fantasy and like more buying into just like these horrible realities a little more violent and and then high fantasy has none of that typically like none of these grimdark elements at all and monstrous kind of brings the two together both in its art style and in the story you have like you said unicorns but they're being you know mistreated and they're breaking horns off and being used as weapons you have people that are being held captive to be like consumed piece by piece for food and for energy which is really um grim and horrific and violent and you also have like one of the main themes of this book which is that it is rather hopeful um, when it comes down to it. And some of these characters are holding on to certain elements of hope. And it is a bit more, even though it's in a world that's 100% grimdark, I think the main character, Micah, and some other characters are trying to wade through that and, and, and try and, you know, they're hopeful that they can learn more about themselves and be at peace and all that other stuff. So it's a really interesting blend, both thematically and in the art style that, where it gl- has those glimmers of hope throughout, even though it's like horrifically, horrifically violent and depressing as well. That's well said, Charles, because I think we typically characterize Grimdark as being being made up of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And while the setting of this feels very Grimdark, the characters and their reactions to it and some of the plot elements manage to give you that glimmer of hope like you're talking about Charles and I think it's it's a kind of thing where it differs from some of what we t- yeah what we typically think of with grimdark we think of people like Joe Abercrombie in this first law series which we're buddy reading right now and people often have a very hard time in first law latching on to characters uh, that are in terms of their heroic traits right like we latch onto characters because they're awesome and well written in that series but we don't latch onto them and root for them in the way that we might in other uh, more typical heroic characters in non-grimdark settings so i think that the an interesting thing about monstrous and something that sticks out especially after having read a lot of grimdark fantasy 
are these characters like Little Fox or Kippa. Yeah, I love uh, Little Fox. Who actually, yeah, sticks out. Actually, my favorite character. <laughs> Me too. In this. That's, yeah. Uh, I thought maybe I'd surprise you with that one. That is kind of surprising that he's your favorite. She, or, she. You know, she's your favorite, but... Um, it's not too surprising because the character does stand out so well, both in terms of like, you know, we're talking about that hope aspect as a theme. And I think a lot of the innocence of Little Fox as a character is a huge part of that driving force for Micah. Sometimes it, uh, Little Fox keeps Micah grounded in certain moments. Mm-hmm. And so I think trying to protect that innocence um, is an interesting part of this overall theme of hope and then her art style of little fox too it like the a lot of the color choices for monstrous are very dark right and and it's brilliantly shaded like what she can do with the colors like black gray and brown are are amazing in this um but little fox is always this light beacon of orangey yellow right and white wearing a light blue yeah always well lit she has these more anime eyes that are much bigger Mm -hmm. and she's very expressive you know she's always hugging clutching onto her tail which is such a great yeah um uh, such a great look for the character like barely hanging on to like trying to survive in this horrible horrible world but being like what would an innocent character in this kind of world how would they cope and you can see she's like barely holding on but still holding on and that's important and that's why i think little fox is such a like a strong character that kind of your eyes go to and your attention goes to and is always um fun to read because she is kind of that beacon of hope in this story yeah, Lil Fox is so brilliant in this book because that's that's why I was starting to evoke Joe Abercrombie, Lord Grimdark, because especially in the first Law <laughs> series, all characters are amazing, but none of them are heroes and none of them just lean all in on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it mirrors kind of the place we were talking about with the plot and the setting and stuff like that, uh, where monstrous stands between grimdark and high fantasy in its willingness to say well maybe there are some characters that are really heroic and in these ways that might be perceived as naive by Mm -hmm. in the works of like joe abercrombie or even would be uh potentially deadly in game of thrones to hold those kind (laughs) of right right all those subvert your typical heroic traits and this almost seems to start moving back (laughs) toward like well okay what if there's a character that they are kind of naive quote unquote in the sense that they're young and all that but they have experienced all this hardship that little fox has and despite all of that they say i'd rather go down for my values and the things that are really important, like loyalty, like friendship, all this stuff. And I'd like to try to be a hero, even if I don't have the strength to, and even if the world doesn't want me to. And if I kind of, if I die, I die. It it feels like at times with little Fox, like she'll be (laughs) toward the end. She was like ready to uh, fight the, it's the mother superior who, That was a a huge mismatch there, Charles. Yeah. Uh, but she would have gone down fighting, and you got Master Ren kind of like, uh, Ubati, save us. Uh, that's the cat god. And it's like, uh, <laughs> well, she's going to go for it. And you don't see a lot of those characters in a grimdark setting. 
Charles. And that's Very what sticks true. out to me so much about Lil Fox or, or Kippa. Yeah, that's a great way of trying to find its place in the world of Grimdark Fantasy compared to Game of Thrones and to and to Lord Grimdark himself. I think that idea of maintaining hopefulness in the most grim dark of settings is a really interesting position. And that's why I keep kept going back to that high fantasy element at the beginning. Because um, you in this world, it's so dark and depressing. And you have things like body horror, slavery, war, very graphic violence, <laughs> like corruption of innocence, all of these horrible, horrible elements. And, you know, anyone squeamish to violence um, should steer clear from this series. Because right in the beginning, yes. we're like torturing children and like, like, What's so interesting about reading this in a graphic novel setting is there's just a setting where a noble woman's going through her her chambers and there's just a child missing limbs like in total fear. And it's implied all the implication of the horror of that is what even adds another element of horror. It's like we're just looking at that. It's not explained. In a novel, you'd have to be like, there was a child in a cage in the corner missing limbs. But in a graphic novel setting, you just see it. And the fact you're processing it for yourself adds another element to the horror element of it. And it's really quite uh, disturbing, but it's what makes it buy into that grimdark setting so, so well. And it builds into the world building as well of like the fine line between a person and a resource is an interesting one as well. Yeah. So Charles, what's, very interesting about this series for us as the FTF podcast is it's inspired, it seems like, by a lot of similar events to what the Poppy War trilogy is inspired by. So if sure. you check out the last, like, I don't know if I'd call it the last page, but it's literally the back cover, but the inside of it, <laughs> of the first vol. Oh, maybe you don't have it because you have the book. I don't know if it does this. All the illustrations in are my... in it, but I don't know if it's going to be in the same spot. No, it's a blurb from Marjorie Liu about the inspiration of the oh. series. And it's inspired by, so her grandparents, as she said, experienced the devastation of war firsthand in China. And talks about like what ravaged uh, Europe during World War II, also ravaged China and the rest of Asia. So the kind of stuff that we already have seen a grimdark setting explore in the Poppy War. But Marjorie Liu goes on to say in this blurb, and the root of my desire, I finally realized, was to tell a story about what it means to be a survivor. A survivor not just of a cataclysmic war, but of racial conflict and its antecedent, hatred. And to confront the question, how does one whom history has made a monster escape her monstrosity? How does one overcome the monstrous monstrousness of others without succumbing to a rising monstrousness within? And I think I mean, Great that's questions. the <laughs> author, right? Uh, that's what she's looking to explore here. And I think I, I've not really read anything else like it that explores those questions through characters that are all across the map regarding how heroic they are and how they deal with the grimdark setting. Right, and there's some interesting parallels that can be made between this and the Poppy 
war uh, series as well, especially with the main characters and this idea of all kinds of other things that are going on. I don't want to get too much detail into no. Poppy War, but no spoilers. Um, no spoilers in this episode for Poppy War, but there are lots of interesting parallels, one of them being the inspiration. And I did find the foreword you're talking about. It's in the back of this book, so I did not read it before okay. this, but it is here. Um, for any of you considering buying like book one, this giant massive hardcover thing, it is in there. So um, yeah, it's those are great questions and great inspiration for for this book. And it makes sense because like uh, Micah is pretty much bought in that she's beyond <laughs> like saving at many times and like worse and worse things keep happening to her. But she hits a point at some point in the first volume where she's like, even though all this stuff happens, I finally am starting to feel hope for the first time. And, and so yes. you can see that she's struggling with those themes right in this first volume. And that's what has kept me so intrigued and brought into this one. There's this mystery of her origin. That's you want to puzzle out and you want to get to the bottom of, but two, it's just like we were talking about this interesting balance between like the buy-in of, this being a fantasy book combined with very modern, you know, um, body horror, grim, dark stuff and how we're kind of balancing those two in a way that's like super honest and believable and makes for great characterization that we haven't seen in some of the other grim, dark series that we've read. Right. And it's, it's a kind of thing where if you do look at these, tragedies and genocides and things like that in history there are heroic stories that emerge mm -hmm. and i think that's why it's like in some ways it's more realistic to tell a story in a grimdark setting where there are still people striving so hard to do the right thing so i i, I like that a lot and and you bring up micah charles mm -hmm. Uh, which makes sense given uh, she's the main character. <laughs> and she, I think she's so interesting in her moral grayness, a uh, part that sticks out to me, especially contrasted with Little Fox, who gets to be kind of angel on her shoulder right. a lot of the times. Right. Uh, <laughs> and th there's a moment on, it's on page 157 on in my volume anyway a, and uh, little fox says to micah uh, he's an arcanic miss he must be safe and micah says am i safe little fox and little fox says i think you try to be yeah. you're just not very good at it and micah says no i'm not oh yeah <laughs> and i just that has stuck out to me so much as characterizing who mike is especially but also little fox where it's like micah you can tell she really does want to do the right thing when she gets the opportunity but she's more pragmatic about how messed up this world is than someone like little fox sure and she's also She's got more strength, obviously. She's very strong uh, and more ability to actually enact things <laughs> into the world than I think Little Fox does here. And she, lastly, she's got a freaking monster inside of her that is urging her to 
feed on other intelligent beings and she has to grapple with okay well i kind of am gonna have to i guess appease this monster to some extent but i also don't want to go too far overboard like she would do anything in her power like she said at one point she would kill herself before she would let the monster eat little (laughs) rocks so it's like okay well i'm gonna concede maybe this wounded soldier that's walking around but like you're not touching kippa right and there's also what's interesting about this scene that you brought up is the fact that little fox is acknowledging these aspects i think that's very important because it's like how much of this is just little fox just clinging to whoever's paying attention to them but this moment she's like you're trying and you're not very good at it but i'm with you anyway like i've know you've yeah. like you've tried to eat me once already and like <laughs> i've seen you do horrible things to other people including eating them and like murdering people and i've seen all kinds of horrible violence but i see that you're trying and that is enough for me and that's a very sweet moment and i also want to give props mm. to um the art design in these scenes like we mentioned earlier so many of this is like a really dark palette some browns and greens but mostly blacks and in this scene for all you listeners at 157 is very well lit and um very bright you have this bright blue light from must be either the moon or like these fireflies that are around and you know her face is well lit up you get a close-up mm-hmm. and it's a dedicated panel just of little fox being like you try to be and you know yes. I, I think that's very important as well i think the scene this is that hopefulness we're talking about this is like a big thematic point of that where little fox i think for one of the first times is accepting um, micah like t- like mm-hmm. outwardly being like you try to be and i'm still with you yeah, i still love you for that and i think that's a really important scene it, it is charleston i love what you bring up there about trying and, mm-hmm. and the word try is the single word in bold in that <laughs> panel as well right. so i i think that's the key and it does correspond to this theme of look if you're in a world like this horrible things are going to happen you might do horrible things but it's about trying to do right trying to do your best and Little Fox reminds us of that so well in that brightly lit panel. <laughs> That's very well said, Dylan. That ele- that theme of trying to be good and then the theme of hope go hand in hand here. And they're very uh, brilliantly balanced with the art direction here as well. Great, great moment you picked out for us. Oh, thanks, Charles. <laughs> so I want to explore some <laughs> some other great moments mm-hmm. in this book this is our first time really talking about That's it right. so uh, uh part of what i want to hear about is how you charles feel about the like when the monster emerges and when we find out then later that Micah, you know, she she comes out with the blue-haired boy and little fox and she 
wakes up to find out like well I, okay i did eat one of them oh, yeah. um like how, how are you reacting to some of those early moments with the monster emerging um you know there's throughout monstrous what kind of keeps you going and keeps you curious are these elements of mystery and this was just another layer to that like we don't know like we've seen a little bit at this point of this monster that takes over um but we haven't seen like that level of atrocity i guess you would say where it eats an innocent child you know and she's subconscious the whole time and it was very dark and grim and and the way it was presented was an interesting one where they're like oh yeah you ate him he's gone and they're like still trudging on and she's like what i don't even remember that so and then it's just cuts to a panel of the poor kids like shriveled up corpse and it's like oh man this is uh, intense so i was like okay there's some stakes here like she's capable of doing horrific things and not even realizing it and at what level does she have control when does the monster take over like you know those kind of elements are very important and we're still trying to piece them together but we know that she's capable of doing like the most horrible unspeakable acts and that kind of raises the stakes for us. Like she's basically like a ticking time bomb in that cart. Well said, Charles. That's kind of what I was hoping to tee you up for is that's the moment for me where I'm like, okay, we're not pulling any punches <laughs> yeah. here. Because I guess you could easily think, oh, this is the this is the little trio is her and these two kiddos. <laughs> and then before you know it, like off screen, she's eaten one of them. Right. And it's like, Oh, like, I guess this isn't going to be one of those morally great characters who, like, actually never does anything Yeah, they have a hard line that they never cross. (laughs) It's like, well, yeah, maybe she was unconscious, but she did the thing. And I think that's what we watch Micah grapple with. It's more subtext than it is right in the forefront, but of, like, what her responsibility is is given the fact that this monster Mm -hmm. is inside of her like she's putting herself in these situations she's surrounding herself with these people and to some extent it is on her when these things happen and she she seems to be aware right and she may not have known that that's what she was capable of at that point because later on like we already discussed about she's like i will kill myself before letting something like that happen again to little fox um, so she's taking some agency over it, but she's the thing she's capable of and to what level she's responsible because she does try and work with this um, with this monster inside her and does try to use its power to get them out of certain situations. And they're starting to develop an understanding. And that's kind of how this volume ends where they're like the monster and Micah are more on the same page. They both can like we can help each other out. We can give each other what we want to know. And um they're coming more to an agreement and they're being able to be more controlled about what they do. And we don't know exactly how dangerous that is. And like, is she playing with fire? Is she accepting more responsibility for these horrible actions that she's potentially able to commit? So that's all getting built up here. And it's an interesting dynamic as well. That it is Charles. So another thing, I want to run by you mm-hmm. is what what do you feel about the like the talking cats <laughs> and 
all like those more quirky elements of the setting. I I'll let you go. Sure. So, I mean, there's definitely some anime-inspired vibes in this series. Um, I often get some of the character designs. I get very, like, Final Fantasy vibes. And yeah. I think... Like the airships, steampunk stuff. Yeah, yeah, there's the airship stuff. Like, sometimes, the, like, the characters' hairstyles and all the armor and, like, just yeah. the vast attention to detail and all the illustrations, all the line work that's done is very intricate and detailed to the finest level and um you get a lot of those <laughs> moments also a part of what i feel like comes with anime and with graphic novels sometimes is the opportunity to be a little more quirky with things like cat like who doesn't love a, a, a cute cat you know so you get those mm-hmm. moments of like oh this is a cat with an eye patch and then like every issue ends with like a, the cat school and the cat's teaching all the other yes. cats and that's how you professor tam yes professor tan tan so it adds an element of charm to an otherwise grim dark thing it's almost like comic relief without having comic relief um so i i think it's fun and it's you can see, I guess, the artist and the author's kind of influence and like having fun with their own world. And I'm always happy to see that. And there are elements of it sometimes that I find kind of, you know, funny and interesting. So um, I'm I, I'm all for it. It's a nice palate cleanser between all the like horrible stuff we have to go through in, in, in the in this world. Right. I think it's really it's really interesting and it does a good job of creating that juxtaposition, which I think is the right. the theme of our episode at this point and, and the theme of monstrous in a lot of ways, which is, I, I think of a moment where the monster is coming out, trying to eat little Fox. Micah's telling her to run and Micah's curled up and she's like, I am not a monster. She's like mumbling that to herself. Yeah while she's losing consciousness. And then we get this moment where Master Ren, the cat, is watching on. And I have to try to keep our clean rating here, Charles. So I'm going to do a little paraphrasing, but it's, uh, he says, to quote the poets, we're at. And (laughs) I'm like, it's so, it's like a funny moment. It's obviously grim in what it implies. And we get the sense that the cats are, are sage in some ways, right. like they're wise in some they're ways. They're the oldest race but, and everything like that. Yes, exactly. And like, it's also funny just seeing this cat, especially early on where you're still not completely familiar with these world elements, right. to see this cat looking on and he's quoting the poets and cursing yeah. is it's all yeah and he like, seems to be kind this, of no more knowing than we are about what's happening yes. as well so there is that like you said wise element to it yeah i think um you know like you said the kind of the word of the day on this episode is that hopefulness that juxtaposition of it with the grim dark and yeah i think having these like humorous moments is part of building up that hopefulness like hey there are parts of this world that are cute and cuddly and and funny you know like we are still able to have those moments and we might be able to pull out of this at some point you know like you don't it's never actually explicitly said but the fact that those kind of elements 
do exist like little fox and cute cats and things like that it's like okay I, and humor it's like okay like there might be hope for this world after all it's not just a hundred percent like like gone there there is those glimmers so i think they balance it well it's not a funny series by any means but they do pepper in these more fun well, it's elements. not designed to be primarily humorous it is funny, yeah I yeah think it's fair right to say. um so i think that's all part of its glimmer of hope aspect of it i think you need those moments where it might not have a place in game of thrones or something like that it certainly has a place in in um in monstrous exactly yeah another one of those funny moments that sticks out to me is when micah is having a conversation with little fox and they're riding a unicorn and uh they're kind of just talking about okay what are we going to do next and at one point little fox just kind of notes you shouldn't eat people yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. that's a pretty good instinct there i would think <laughs> yeah you think she would draw you think micah would draw the line at eating kids but she had a few slip-ups yeah it happens <laughs> so i mean another thing that I think one of the more interesting characters, and we don't we don't get a ton yet, is Master Ren Charles, mm-hmm. and I don't know, right? The the three characters probably of most import or interest are uh, Micah, Lil Fox, and Master Ren the cat. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think we we owe Master Ren a little bit of discussion. What are your reactions to Master Ren so far? Obviously there are some some things going on behind the scenes where right. he kind of betrayed them, but then he went back with when uh, Lil Fox, the moral compass for everyone, it kind of brings him back into things. Right. So, we, what, what do you think? I, I think Ren is one of those characters where they're not showing all their cards, so we don't know right. where their allegiances lie, where their... Um, where what they're trying to accomplish like what's their own self-interest you don't really know why master ren is hanging around with them so much and what the interest is he seems to know he seems to think micah's obviously dangerous it's like oh man she tapped into this power she's escaped she's we're all doomed so at what is you know what is his purpose there and what is he trying to accomplish we don't really know so he's He's kind of a suspicious character, but you do see he has these moments where he does care about protecting the innocence of Little Fox many times. He does have those like charming elements about him. Um, so maybe, you know, there maybe some cracks are starting to show like we don't really know. But um, jury's still out on, on him. But I think it's an interesting dynamic. It adds to that level of intrigue, right? It's like, what does he what do they know? What's the secret behind like what what his involvement is what their stakes are you know it's another piece of the suspense and the mystery of monstrous that has been driving the plot forward this whole time of like um, micah's true nature and like what really happened and what's all this about you know we're still piecing that together and and mike and um master ren seems to know more uh, than we have been shown at this point That much is clear, Charles. Yeah, I I like Master Ren a lot and his dynamic with both of the other characters in their little trio here where he's 
pragmatic enough to obviously see a lot of the danger in Micah and maybe not look on her with the same level of hopefulness that uh, Kippa might. But then again, uh, he is sentimental enough where when it comes down to it with Little Fox, like he, he cares a lot. Uh, at least we've seen that much. So there's a lot more I think to find out. And I, you know, I'm ahead, so I don't want to spoil anything there. The another topic that I think is worth discussion, Charles, is there's a lot being thrown at us mm-hmm. in this first volume. There's a lot of different factions. Uh, there's a lot of different characters. You know, the Dawn Court, the Dust Court, uh, the Ancients, the all these things are going on. Did you have a hard time following, easy time following? What what was that like? Well, it's an interesting experience because I don't feel like I just have all the knowledge of the whole world, but when I'm reading, I'm okay. Like I feel like, you know, I see certain groups up enter the scene and I know what's going on and I get a sense for the scene and who's on what side and all of that, but if you ask me to like sit down and write everything you know about the world building of Monstrous, I'd be like, oh man, it's kind of a lot. I don't think I know as much as I maybe, you know, it has been presented. But uh, kind of like we were talking about earlier, it's like the way it's written and what we're shown makes it very easy to follow the plot and follow. It's like, I know that group, right? The group with that armor, yeah. I know who they are. And I know they're exactly. against the group with that armor or, you know, this group is treated differently or has different skin tones or styles. Um, so I know that to be to be the, the case. So... Um, as I'm reading, I feel like I know everything I need to, but there is a lot going on. There is a lot to piece out, um, but it never feels overwhelming, even if I'm not like 100% knowledgeable. I think you're just meant to kind of go with it and just recognize the artistic tells between each character to know what you need to know. Mm, I like that. Artistic tells, yes. Charles. Yeah, <laughs> so when we were... <laughs> When we were preparing for this episode, uh, Charles and I were discussing how uh, a lot of the benefit of being able to follow what's going on is how great the art is Mm. and how, you know, a picture says a thousand words or whatever they say. Uh, These pictures are saying a lot of the words for us and help us follow it. Uh, It's the visual medium is used so well and it sticks out to me so much as someone who usually reads these long fancy novels that uh have no pictures (laughs) or anything so the to say a thousand words they they have to use a thousand words so uh yeah it's it's really interesting because there's a lot of these moments of like oh yeah them like early on you know you're looking at a group that looks a certain way you're like okay yeah these these folks but then for recording a podcast, you have to be able to be like, oh, the Inquisitrixes, right. <laughs> which was a word I I don't know if I <laughs> I was following that that word applied to that group of people that well when I was first reading it, but I knew when I saw them. Right. So that's 
credit to Santa Takeda for right. There's so much <laughs> intricate detail in all the different like armors and settings and different kinds of magic systems going on. Like there's so much intricate detail that it's very easy to tell them all apart and to believe them and buy into them and and recognize them when they come up again. So yeah, just an achievement in the art style here for sure. That it is. Yeah. I mean, we have the stage thoroughly set by the time uh, we're closing out this volume. We've got a, a lot of intrigue. There's things like, obviously, Micah has this childhood friend named Tuya, mm-hmm. and we're, she's basically looking for Tuya the whole time to one extent or another kind of and yeah maybe it's not fair to say she's looking for her the whole time i but think she she's like she knowingly left tuya to uncover mysteries about herself right and she wants to yes, get back she wants to get back to tuya but she's prioritizing her own like solving her own mysteries i would say that is very fair charles it's the book is more about finding out things about her than it is because Tuya tried to, to talk her out of a whole lot of these plans that she's been involved in and and Micah's like well I have to know I I, I can't not do it I need to know the information and Tuya's like why <laughs> why we got a good thing going here and Micah's like I just have to know so you know that's kind of a little bit of a a rift that we started to see at the beginning of this book this volume well said. So that rift forms, Mike leaves, but there's a plan to get back to yeah, Tuya. Yeah. Tuya, mm-hmm. it doesn't work out, and then she's kind of back to let me try to find out what's going on with me because who knows where Tuya is at this point. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's being led places by people who are supposedly associated. Like Master Ren is like, oh, Tuya sent me, and Corvin is like... Oh, now I'm here. <laughs> so the <laughs> the the point being, Charles, we're left here toward the end with a reveal that Tuya is the Baroness, who is one of the people who worked to lock Micah up in that sarcophagus to try to render her powerless, which which didn't really work. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm wondering. Like, what do you think of that through line? Like, are you intrigued? Did you think it was well done? That kind of stuff with two. I am intrigued. I'm wondering, like, is there more backstory between Tuya and Micah that I don't know? Because, like, if they were as friendly as they are, why are there so many secrets? You know, that's kind of yeah. the the thing that I'm still trying to puzzle out. That I'm hoping Volume Two will get a little more into because it 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 seems. Like by the end of the first volume, it's clear now that there is some stuff unsaid between them, and Tuya is trying to, um, like behind the scenes, get in contact with Micah and influence Micah's quest and all of that. So it's like, why isn't she just talking to her directly? You know, like they're friends and they're trying to get back to each other. So what's the holdup and why all of the the secrets? You know, so that's something I haven't quite 
mastered the understanding of yet, but it's certainly, I think that's intentional, right? To deliberately end volume one with that little cliffhanger piece. It's like there's, sure. the plot thickens, guys. You'll have to get, you know, read the next issue to, to figure out what's going on here. So I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm not enough pieces are there for me to understand why this is the way it is. So I'm, I'm sure that we're going to get a lot more, um, details and i'm sure the plot will continue to thicken and 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 get messier um before before volume two is over so it's interesting i'm intrigued i'm just trying to um piece it together because they seem so friendly it's like that's the closest thing to family that they have and and um just trying to piece out you know why aren't they in more direct communication like why aren't they on the same page exactly and i think that's so much of what this series is about is raising all these questions and mysteries about the characters, their backgrounds, Mm -hmm. their intentions, Mm -hmm. uh, what, I mean, their futures in the sense of there's even talk of prophecies around what Micah is supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And there's so many more questions than there are answers. And uh, as you'd expect in volume one of something that, I think is uh, supposed to go on for a while. I really don't know. I've only read the first four volumes. I think five are available. There's five published, yeah. Yeah. So I'm still trying to piece together everything that's out there as I read the fifth one. Mm -hmm. But it's really, really raising questions. And I think the, the questions are what keep us reading and they're what keeps Micah moving. Sure. It's a lot of these mysteries and... And things that is what's driving the plot. I mean, since the beginning, it's like, what is the secret origin behind Micah's, you know, lineage and family and um, her powers and the God that's possessing her is like so many um, interesting different pieces that we are all trying to puzzle out. And everyone has such an invested interest on every side, every race, and you're still trying to piece together everyone wants a piece of Micah yeah yeah, (laughs) right and so you're trying to figure out why still and you know getting back to those high fantasy elements like very intricate more and more and more stuff getting piled on and it's a lot to dive into and that's part of the experience of reading and what makes it so fun right there's a lot to really sink your teeth into here and um yeah, it's just left you wanting more and leaves you with more questions. And it sets up this um, expansive world that we have at least four more volumes to uh, issues, uh, no volumes to get into. <laughs> right. I mean, I'd seen people calling it, uh, I can't find the quote right now, but like as ambitious as Lord of the Rings <laughs> and Game of Thrones and things like that. <laughs> and it's certainly very ambitious yes. in trying to set the stakes with tons of players in a massive game. Right. And I'm excited for us to continue to delve into how that game plays right. out. Charles. And I think this has been a great transition for us from fantasy novels to graphic novels because this is built and structured so much like a fantasy novel in terms of like, the maps and the cultures and the worlds and the magic systems and the political factions and the settings and all of that it it's very you know fan, it's uh, it's a fantasy series so um it's a welcomed smooth transition for us and it's something that's masterfully done here i'm just looking forward to seeing how the plot progresses at this point <laughs> hopefully resolve right. some of these mysteries and- 
And I'm going to take that as a welcome, smooth transition toward <laughs> our end of the episode. I'm ready if you are. Hopefully masterfully done. Well, we had an awesome time reading volume one of Monstrous and talking about it here. And if if you like Monstrous, you like us, maybe you like this episode, <laughs> then there's plenty of places that you can reach out to us. You can reach out to us on Twitter at the FTF podcast one. You can also find us on instagram or facebook at the ftf podcast Uh, if you're the kind of person who likes sending emails to your favorite podcasters then you're welcome to do that you can reach us at the ftf podcast at gmail.com and it's possible that you're listening to this on apple podcasts if that's the case then what can they do to show their support? Toss five stars to our podcast. Yes, if you have Apple Podcasts and that's where you're listening, go on over. I know it's, you know, it's not the most convenient thing to, like, find our account, pull up the artist's name, scroll down, leave those five stars, and even more, write a review, which would be awesome. But even just leaving the five stars would, would mean so much to us. So if you did like it, what you heard, that's such a great way to support the show said Charles well said thank you all so much for listening and as always go forth and conquer friends